Yo, welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast where I interview working voice actors who are working their way up. I'm Sean Rohani, and this is part two with Isaac Robinson-Smith. We talk managing agency relationships, some crazy fun booking stories, how to navigate a voice acting career as a person of color, and much, much more. So I guess all there is to say is, uh, cue the bass. I've heard with SBV, you know, they're obviously one of the biggest voiceover agencies, um, that they, when they're looking to represent a new client, they'll have their whole staff there and sort of like see if potential clients get intimidated by the numbers and like having to cold read all different types of departments, yeah. commercial animation, whatnot. Yeah. So that was pretty much your experience? That was pretty much my experience. Yeah. I remember meeting, um, you know, I I don't remember specifically, but I know at least Cynthia and Ference had to be there. And I think a couple other people. Um, and I don't think it was necessarily intimidation. I mean, it was a little bit of that, but it was mostly just this is a huge step for me. I just really want to make sure that I do this right. So I was like, mm. but it was also a sense of calm because I knew that all of the things that had to fall in place had fallen in place correctly at the right time for me. So I didn't really have a lot of, and also at that point I was like, I'm ready to do this career. Like this is not, I'm not kidding around anymore. I'm not, you know, messing mm. around with like doing classes here or there. Like this is serious for me. I want to do this life. And also I get a very big uh, joy from being behind the microphone at any point. So doing that in a professional setting, showing what I could do, I had a lot of confidence going in and a lot of things underneath me. And also the belief from Jason and from Bob, who I thank Bob as well for just being such an amazing support system for me and like recognizing what I could do and, and being honest about, you know, what I'm capable of and hearing from him, you know, that sort of. Uh, review and that sort of um, uh, assessment of my ability was really helpful to be like, okay, no, I'm ready for this. So I walked in with, you know, nerves and everything, but it was mostly excitement and really happy. And I actually got the call from the agent at um, the next day. I went to work at Disneyland the next day and I got a call on one of my breaks. So I was, you know, in my Dapper Dan costume backstage with my tap shoes on (laughs) talking to... (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and did they tell you they would like to represent you across the board? They told me commercial and animation. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. and then slowly I've gotten, you know, I've done work in a lot of different things. So I keep auditioning for stuff. Um, I think in the first, I think it was, I remember cause I was walking on the Disney lot just to visit as a cast member. And I think eight days after I signed, I got my first job with them, which was a voice matching job for Warner brothers. Hmm. So that was also something they still send me out for occasionally. And is that something you can talk about? Like what you voice match for? Yeah. Um, so one of the things, uh, let's see, I'm trying to, trying to go back. Well, one of my, <laughs> this is an interesting one that is, it's going to be in perpetuity for as long as the show exists, but in the special effects show, and this is not an official job for my agent or anything. This is just something that I did for mostly as a favor, but it was a really fun favor. Um, mm-hmm. In the special effects show, there's a part of the show where they talk about motion capture. And I don't know if you remember the spot with um, Ted coming out and he's saying, you know, this this is Ted from the movie Ted. Um, mm-hmm. The audio that Seth MacFarlane had recorded for that spot of the show was really not dirty as far as like content, but dirty like the audio. It was just like crackly and like not it was like staticky. So they were like, hey, Isaac, we know you do voices. Can you do a good Ted impression? Like, can we do you think you could record this? So we could put it, you know, a clean version in the show. And I was like, I can try. So they sent me the original audio on my phone. I listened to it for about 30 minutes. And then they took me upstairs to the break room at special effects show, put me in between three racks of clothes and a microphone 
And now I am the voice. I'm the voice of Ted in the special effects show. So I voice double <laughs> for Seth MacFarlane for that show. Um, That's amazing. So the, all of Ted's dialogue is me. Um, <laughs> and then uh, in the, mov- the movie Geostorm was that first Warner Brothers voice match. I voice matched for, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Jim Sturgis. That's his name. I cannot remember. Okay. So he's, if you saw the movie Across the Universe, Jim Sturgis is the main guy in that movie, that Beatles movie. Um, oh, nice. So I voice matched him for, in the movie Geostorm. And I went and watched the movie. And I was, I saw it with my mom and I was like, I think they just got him again. That doesn't sound anything like me. I don't know what they, <laughs> like it was some magic <laughs> between my recording and that. I was like, it doesn't, I'm, am- I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that they made it sound like him because <laughs> I thought I did a pretty good job and they obviously hired me, but it was cool because when I was listening to the people in the room, it was like, it was like the stunt double of voiceover. Like everybody, when they opened their mouths, I was like, oh, that's probably Gerard Butler's a voice match and like all I was like oh you're this guy um and it was like my first very like brief window into looping because I remember looking through the window and seeing these people in a room around a microphone talking I was like what are they doing oh what is that I don't know what that so I and I didn't and that was it it was like five seconds of just seeing them but I was that was my first glimpse into what looping was come way later I find out what it actually is but I was I should ask Johnny and see if they did that film and see if he was in there because I could be like, I was there, but I never saw you. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that would be cool. um, Yeah. So, and I'm curious because a lot of actors, some of them have a similar experience across the board and some of them, you know, it's very different. But when you joined SBV, you mentioned booking that first thing. I forgot how many days it was, but it was a short period of time. What, eight, nine days? Yeah. Because a lot of actors who join with a new agency... Sometimes it takes them several months, maybe up to a year to book something because usually, you know, casting directors, all these different studios are getting themselves familiar with with this new actor's auditions to make sure their auditions are consistently good. Yeah. And then they might give them the chance to book something. Yeah. But um, for you, was it was that like early gig a fluke or or were you just up and running? You know, I think, you know, I think it was. I think it could be, it's a mixture of both. I think I just, you know, I, I enjoy the fact that I have an ear for mimicry. Um, but I think that was just, that was kind of just lucky because Jim Sturgis, his natural vocal print is pretty close to mine already. Um, Mm. so it wasn't too far away for me to get to match what that was. Um, so that was, but it was also, it was just good for me because it showed that I was serious and, and booked something, but man, it is, it is never consistent for me as far as, you know, I, I like I booked I've, I've been booking a lot of work recently and, you know, through either my agent or, you know, my own resources. But mm-hmm. I never take it for granted. I'm never over here like, oh, well, I've got it. Like I figured out the magic solution to, you know, it's I I keep a list of the way that I put it in my email is sort of to um, it's kind of a visual manifestation trick for me. I, I have uh, I have, you know, it all categorized. But I and I when I tell people about work, I was like, I know that I've booked stuff and you've seen stuff online, but I have I have like somewhere between four to five hundred auditions from 2020 alone that I didn't get versus the like mm-hmm. five things that you saw that I got in. And then also there are things, that, you know, have these years long production cycles. So I right. but the way that I think about it is uh, I have my current auditions folder that I put everything that like is due like, you know, like today or the next day in a current folder. Mm-hmm. I used to put it into a folder called VO past auditions just to, you know, remember everything that I'd done, but I renamed that folder. That's it. And I renamed it VO future bookings just to be like this. Any of these could be something that I will, will get. I don't want to put it ever in mm-hmm. front of me or in my mind that this is something that I 
recorded and could never happen. I'm going to put it in like, no, this is still possible. You don't know. So put it in this, the title future bookings makes me feel, you know, more confident that it's going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, I do kind of a similar thing. I've talked about this before, but, um, uh, not in terms of categorizing a folder, but when I audition for things, it just helped me mentally to think of, of all the auditions that I've done as, for all I know, the next thing that I've booked is right now in the process. The gears are turning towards yeah. from when I auditioned to it booking. Yeah. Because in general, people say when you audition, just forget about it, which, you know, there's there's truth to that. Right, but, right. Um, it's not like you audition and then nothing happens and then all of a sudden you get a booking. Like it's it's going to different producers and casting directors right. and everything. Like people are talking about it. So I like to think that one of the many auditions I've recently submitted is currently going through that yeah, cycle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great idea to to name your folder that way too. So uh, I'm going to talk. I mean, we're obviously we've talked about SBV. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned about them is. They seem to be one of the sort of champions of union work and trying to get their their clients as much union work as possible. So when did you join the union? I joined the union after that Warner Brothers job. Um, I had been eligible for several years because of a my friend uh, Yasmin Gassiri, who I met at UC Irvine. She was already in the union. Um, Pardon me. They were already in the union. Um, and they had a project that, uh, was a digital short basically, uh, called, uh, $2 therapy, which is kind of this funny comedy about this therapist that brought people over to this random bench in college. And for $2, they would get a great therapy lesson. It was really fun. And I did one character on that, but because they were already in SAG as I think a writer or director or something like that, I got in the, cause at that point, I think it was 2000. 11 or 12. So new media was like, no one knew what that was. Like new media was like still figure being figured out, but I got into the early new media Taft Hartley contract essentially. And I submitted this project that I did with Yasmin and got my eligibility on my birthday actually. So I, I, so that was great (laughs) present. And then after the Warner brothers job, I got the letter from SAG that said, if you don't join in the next, you know, 30 days, you know, you're going to be, you're basically, I got the must join letter basically. Right. And I knew that I wanted to stay union uh, and I wanted to be part of it. And it was important to me. And it just, it just feels, I don't know why the card has so much significance, but having my SAG card was felt (laughs) so cool when I got it in the mail and just knowing that I was part of this group of actors. um, And after joining, it just it was great because SBV does only submit. They only I mean, I've done some non-union work, but it's like sanctioned through them, like the Disney work that I've done mm. for Imagineering, things like that is a non-union job. But it's sort of like uh, I don't really know how it works, but it's 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 um, it's through their good graces that they, you know, they work with with Disney with that because they're, I think they understand the gravity of the kinds of projects that they're doing, you know. But they only send me out for, and I only receive union auditions from them. So it's kind of all union all the way anyway. So joining was really not really a question for me when I wanted to do it. Awesome. And unless I'm missing something, I feel like most actors will be with a smaller boutique agency before they go to their, their dream agency. Right. But for you, was it was it really just like it took that moment when somebody told you, I don't know how you're not represented to... Um, SBV being your first agency? Yeah, that basically, I I mean, I had, I had been in talks with a couple of other ones. And like I said, I had auditioned for Pat a few times and that just didn't right. pan out, but I'm not upset about that. And like I said, I'd still love our relationship, but, mm-hmm. uh, 
Yeah, it was, it was, I, I, my, my journey has been unique in that way that SBV was and is my first agent because of that moment where someone noticed what I could do and was kind enough to do something for me about that. And it just happened to be, mm-hmm. I didn't really even know SBV at the time. I was like, they sound good. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then I got with yeah. them and I was like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But like, like I know some people and I'm sure I did this as well. Like, um, Sometimes it can help with when being with like a boutique agency to to understand how that dynamic is with an agent and get rid of the rookie mistakes so that when you're with a bigger agency, you're not making some of those mistakes yes. or asking your agents the, the questions that you shouldn't ask. Right. But um, did you learn anything like that the hard way or were you, I, were you familiar enough to know how to I totally it? did. I went into this <laughs> more blind than maybe I should have been. Mm-hmm. I went, I you know, I kind of took it on faith that I had the talent to do what I do. But I learned a lot of the inner workings of of how an agent and how the res, how the relationship and all that works, mm-hmm. kind of not the hard way exactly, but just like the well, actually no, some of some of it was the hard way. I remember when I was working at Disneyland in the last couple of years, I was getting to a place where I was feeling really good about doing the work there, which I love the work there. It's like it's theater. It's what I've grew up doing. But my focus was pretty split. You know, I would be I was in the mindset for a couple of years there where it's like I will I really focus on like increasing my um, reputation as a performer here and my relationships with the casting here. Mm -hmm. I'll get to the auditions when I can, you know, and there would be sometimes this is really terrible, but there would be sometimes days where I would have, you know, two, three auditions for commercials and be like and not do them just because I was like, I don't want to. I don't have time. Mm. I'm going to work. I work all day. I'll do them if I can. Uh, and I wouldn't turn them in on times sometimes like that happened a bunch. Mm. And then something in me, I think was like, hold on and, and take a step back and look what you're really doing because you know that this is your career. Like, why are you taking advantage of it? Why are you relinquishing this opportunity to in with one of the biggest agencies in LA to, to focus on something else that's not going to be your end game. So something about that, you know, kind of lit up and I was like, I should set up a meeting with, with my agents just to check in. And after that check-in, it was exactly what I had thought. It was like, you're, they're like, you know, you're not turning on auditions on time. What are you doing for us to get relationships in this, you know, all this, all this stuff. It just really like, I was devastated when I left that meeting. Hmm. Um, that was at the end of 2019. And I was like, I really need to, to, to do, you know, in 2019, that's, you know, two and a half, three years after I signed with them. Wow. So, you know. Being having that pattern that far in was not good for me. Mm-hmm. After that meeting, after feeling like defeated and like I was like, "What am I doing?" Um, I completely turned around, and it's so funny because I remember Farron saying, "Yeah, twenty twenty is going to be your year," and twenty 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 wasn't most people's year, mm-hmm. but it was definitely my year as far as reset, reevaluate, reestablish, solidify all of those adjectives that mean putting my place like. I think it was not that I don't love working for the park because I love it, but having the forced refocus was probably the best thing that could have happened for me because otherwise I don't know where I would be at the end of 2020 going into 2021 had it not been for all of that stuff to happen at that particular moment. But I learned, I really learned that the hard way of like, if this is what you want to do, you really got to do it. And I can't slack off anymore. Mm -hmm. So since then I have a much better system of how I do things and a much better relationship with who I'm talking to and where I'm going and what opportunities I'm taking advantage of and not taking anything for granted also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great because I've heard some, some larger agencies 
might even drop uh, talent, even if they have booked stuff, because it's just not up to par with what they need. So it's great that after a few years, they, you know, it's a tough conversation to have, but they let you know, look, these are the things that you can improve on that we're not we're not seeing yet, and give you the opportunity to refocus and kick yeah. butt come twenty twenty. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So congrats on that. Uh, and I'm curious, by the way, with SBV, it's hard to like give an average, but if you had to put a number out as far as like how many auditions you might get from them per week around, what would you say? I would say on average, like five to 10 a week Mm -hmm. from them, like a lot. It's a, it's a pretty big volume and I like it because they're all varied. Like they're all, I think what's cool about SBV is they, and I think every agent probably does this to some degree, but over the like when I first started auditioning for them, you know, you get everything under the sun because they didn't know, don't know what you're capable of. Right. But it's cool to now have seen that it's they've kind of honed me into even with commercials and stuff. A lot of the time it'll be more on the character side because I'm, you know, that's my that's my forte is animated characters and, and things like that. So like mm-hmm. auditions that have like like I've gotten a couple auditions recently that say get your people seasoned in animation on this because we want character voices or we want somebody to sound like this or we want an animated voice for this kind of thing. Like a commercial I got last year with uh, Fisher Price as a little uh, baby toy, <laughs> I I just did like nine different voices in the session with different variations, but it was all character stuff. So, but it was you know in a commercial setting, so mm-hmm. it's cool to know that from their standpoint, that's a big focus for them. With me is character stuff because it was what I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other specialty things that I've also done that I will audition for, like voice matching things like that. But right, um, yeah. Cool. Uh, Yeah, that's one of the things, like you said, agencies might throw you everything under the sun to see what sort of things are your most most bookable stuff. And, you know, fortunately for me, while there is sort of a part of voiceover that I might be booking more, like I've been able to book different types of things and characters that cover a wide range and yeah and you're the same way in that like you can do a lot of different things and have been able to book a, a bunch of different things so i'm wondering you know obviously i uh like i'm a minority background you are yeah. a black voice actor um yeah. how has your background how have you seen it affect your life as a voice actor i've been lucky that it hasn't affected me too much. Um, only, well, I, okay. It's, it's kind of a, a tricky question to answer. Um, I think it affects me only in the sense that I'm sometimes, unless I can get a direct answer from a casting director or a production team, it's difficult to figure out exactly what to do as far as sound goes. And I don't know about anybody else that's a voice actor of color or black voice actor, but I know that when I get an act, when I get an audition that says African-American, it's such a widespread range because the thing is, is I, everyone has a stereotype of what that sound is in their head. And even I do. So mm-hmm. I battle consistently. Do I lead with my own voice because that's authentic to me? Do I lead with the sound that I think they want to hear because they said urban in the description? Do I lead with um, something that's not that at all? Do I go with an archetype that I've heard before with this sort of commercial for something I heard in the past and layer that in, you know, so it's, mm-hmm consistently difficult because I don't know what they mean when they say that because there's such a huge range. So it's aggravating on the one hand, because sometimes people don't have the answer and I just have to kind of guess, but it's also a really great time to be, um, to innovate a new path of what that means because it's necessary, especially with everything that's gone on with like black lives matter and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember talking to one of my favorite, um, voiceover coaches, Carol Kimball, who's also black and producer and, you know, has done a million amazing things. Right. 
I asked her this question and her answer is still, I think, one of my favorites um, where she said, you talk like you because it shows them that there's more than one version of being black. Even if it's not what they think it is, you know, you keep leading with you and eventually they'll catch on that there's a wider spectrum of what a black voice actor should sound like mm-hmm. versus what we think it is and what we're going to put in this consistently over time. But it's just, it's, it's being part of that evolution, I think is really gratifying for me and something I feel proud of. So I hope to be part of that change and part of that evolution. Yeah. Um, so it's great. And it's also, it also sucks sometimes, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, um, I love yeah. that answer though. Um, cause you know, like me, I'm sure some of our experiences are very similar, but, but some things are unique to your specific background and mine. So I don't know if you've had this experience, but like, I've been fortunate to have booked uh, a lot of roles based on my background, but I do get more excited, maybe not more excited, but like I do appreciate it when uh, I book something that has nothing to do with my background as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because you don't want to be like typecast, but at the same time for, I think what's easy about my background is it's not as murky, the descriptions, because sometimes they'll ask for an accent and I can provide that authentically yeah. based on like, you know, just my household or having relatives that spoke right, in that accent. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. Or sometimes they won't want the accent and I could just be myself. But like you said, when they have descriptions like like African-American or urban, we're, because like it can be anything, it's not as concrete for you. So so right. I want, like, do you, do you often try to give your authentic self as one take and then another take of, you know, an option. That's, that's what I just learned recently in a class I just took, um, with, um, Patrick Michalik, who does is uh, video game casting for insomniac. I asked him this same question Hmm. and he said, do two takes, read one take authentically as you, because that's what we want, but then do another take just to show that you have that range. So that's kind of cool because like for me, you know, I can talk like how I talk, but then, man, if I need to, I can put on that, you know, a little bit of this if you want that in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's not, you know, it's not who I am inherently. So, but it's cool because it gives me a chance to be authentic and show range and show acting in two different voices at the same time. So there is, there is a, a benefit to it, um, but it also is just frustrating to be like, oh, I wish it were just cl- more clear sometimes what, <laughs> what it yeah. is. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. So switching it up a little bit, you know, speaking yeah. of your range and uh, yes. your ability as an actor, um, we haven't really talked much about many of the things which you have booked many things, but some of your specific bookings. So I was curious, you know, you worked on Voltron Legendary yeah. Defender. Yeah, yeah. So what was that uh, audition process like and the sessions like? That was a regular, here's the audition and and here's the, you know, and we're going to send it out. Um, so pretty standard as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. What was interesting, though, is I workshopped this audition for this character. I took Charlie Adler's animation class twice, which oh, I love. Nice. I, I love took him. it once. I'd love to yeah. take it again. Yeah. Um, and in one of the auditions, we workshopped that specific audition just because I was like, well, I'm going to be doing this soon. I should, you know. And I took it into the agent. I took it into the booth, um, at my agency when we could do that, um, mm-hmm. and did it there remembering the notes and things. And this is something that I'm trying to do is to, you know, cause I heard my audition. I was like, that was really great. The place that I got, I want to try to do that, you know, with my own direction, which is difficult, but I auditioned for it, forgot about it. And then a year went by <laughs> and then SBV called. I was on my, again, I was on my way to a job. I was on my way to, uh, do, another night of Halloween Horror Nights at Universal and SBV called and they said, Hey, so we just want to let you know that you booked, um, Adam in Voltron, um, DreamWorks 
they booked you a year ago, but they didn't have time to schedule you. So we're just letting you know you got the job. And I was just flabbergasted that like it was a full year in between wow. audition <laughs> to getting booked. Mm-hmm. Um, and the session was great, though, because in the session I got to do uh, Walla as, you know, kids in a classroom. Hmm. And I was with um, I was with like Josh Keaton and Jeremy Shada, who are voices on the show and very famous in their own right and what they do. Yeah. Um, nice. But then the session for me uh, was my part was just alone watching, but it was it was uh, it was ADR for it because the animation had already been done. And it was okay. I don't know if it's straight up anime necessarily, but it is an anime style. So the lip flaps are already done and everything. Got it. Um, and that was my first time doing that. <laughs> so <laughs> like uh, so like first real animated show first you know, working with DreamWorks, doing ADR for the first time. <laughs> Luckily, I had the wherewithal to remember the four beep method. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was great because, and then and then I did some other voices in the show. Like I did a countdown for like a rocket or something. And <laughs> just because they wanted to hear it, I did, they asked me to do my Morgan Freeman impression because they had heard it at some point somehow. I don't <laughs> know if they watched my video, but uh, but yeah. And then, but what was really amazing about that whole experience was Adam to my knowledge is one of one of the first canonically uh gay relationships in an animated kids show that I'm aware of. I mean Steven Universe oh. I think pioneered that, you know, a lot with all the different types of sexualities they have. Mm-hmm. Um so I am really proud to I mean I I'm an ally. I'm not uh gay myself, but you know right. I have family members who are, I have friends who are, so I'm, yeah. you know, complete <laughs> I I will it, it's it's difficult to to, you know, moving my friend's circle if that's not a community you support mm-hmm. um, yeah. just because I have so many people that are in it but it was really cool to me to I have it, it was my it's my first experience of having a fan base like there's a whole <laughs> Instagram account called Adam is my religion and it's all fan art and you know conversations about Adam and he was only in two scenes in this <laughs> in the show but it was really gratifying to see that this character was treated seriously the relationship was treated seriously the fans responded really well and they've been really really kind to me i i thank them consistently like i still get messages and stuff even though the show aired like almost 3 years ago that's awesome um, yeah so just the whole experience was just i couldn't have had a better introduction into you know substantial animated work mm-hmm. uh than adam and so it's it's always cool it's still cool to like see things about him yeah that's but, amazing yeah. So you mentioned that that was like an ADR experience and sort of your first one, but you have looped since then. Yes. Um, so how how did you end up? Because looping is, is a world that we, I've talked about plenty of times, but um, it's it's not necessarily the easiest type of work to, to get into. It's not typically right. something you get an audition for from your agent or anything like that. So how did yeah. you get into it? So it, again, just a super random experience. The first time I had an experience of doing that sort of work was um, for uh, the show that I can't publicly say what I'm part of yet, but the the Disney show that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Again, it was, you know, the, my first day on that doing union work was, you know, doing background voices, creature sounds. Um, it was all the stuff you do in living, ADR, Walla, Donuts, uh, call outs, everything. Like, I remember I did a call out where I, I was just screaming and I had just walked across the room in front of the microphone. But um, <laughs> awesome. but I got to learn all that stuff. But I did a few sessions with doing that. So that's how I became and that's how I became kind of cemented with that show for that Disney show. Mm-hmm. And then this is just sort of a, a huge, again, a mystery. I, I, I at some point got to know someone or talked to somebody that recommended me to Sue Boyajan, who is oh, a nice. loop group coordinator. Right. 
And she called me and asked what my experience was. And I said, yeah, I've done this before. And she said, great, I want to bring you into this, this movie that we're doing for Netflix. And so that was my first you know, session for live action was doing that with her. Hmm. Um, but that's how it happened. It was I can't explain the science of it. It was super random, but I'm happy that it happened. And I'm glad I have experience. And I did well. And she, you know, I checked in about our relationship. I said, you know, I just wanted to check in and make sure that I represented you the best I could with this session with this director. She said, you did awesome. That's why I wanted to have you audition for this other thing. So that relationship has been established. And then also then taking Johnny Goodcomb's class and um, learning even more and, and wanting to know about different ways to think about it. Just super helpful. So, but that's how I got into it, which is basically answer is I don't really know. It just kind of (laughs) fell at some point. I think maintaining and curating good relationships with people has always led to good results. And I think that's what this is. It's always a case of, I was hurt. Somebody heard about me from somebody else and they want to use me for this thing. And that's Mm -hmm. usually how it has been for the bigger steps in my career. Got it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge lesson to learn. Um, so obviously like you and I have taken Johnny Gacom's class together and that was a lot of fun, but, um, so for you was your first looping gig like mine in that I didn't have any prior knowledge of like all the terminology donuts and call outs and things like that. Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I had seen it. And I did something sort of similar to it a long, long time ago, but I didn't know. I didn't have any of the terminology. Mm-hmm. It was sort of flying blind, but I was very lucky um, that our uh, that our coordinator that was there with just the four of us knew exactly what to do, how to line things up, how to facilitate things. Because I think even the people running the session weren't entirely sure what the process would be to go forward. And so, but he was able to uh, cement different techniques and different things that we would do to make sure that it was consistent and it was what they needed and it was how long they needed it for and what they wanted. But so I was lucky to just have guides around me and people around me that knew exactly what was going on. And I just kind of, it's kind of like flying by the seat of my pants, just stepping up and just doing it and not being afraid, you know, and making sure that I did well and just staying in the moment, which, which again, my theme park training taught me, which is just be there and not let anything else distract. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Cause I mean, it can be very easy to be thrown off by the looping world when you have zero experience uh, about yeah. it and the terminology and everything. But, right. um, so yeah, it's crazy how helpful your, your prior skills that had nothing to do with looping ended up helping sort of you yeah. in looping <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I, I'm always fascinated by that. Like life experiences that you didn't take with the specific intent of improving voice acting, but that ended up helping it a lot. Yes. Um, yes. Totally. So, so you said that in 2020, that's when you really switched things up and made voice acting a priority and, and took a bunch of steps towards making it your primary concern and being successful in it and, and 2020 paid off. Um, yeah. So obviously you're taking a bunch of these different classes looping. You, you've changed the way that you organize some of your like audition files and everything. Is there anything else that you can attribute to why uh, 2020 specifically became like sort of that breakout year for you? I think just because I, oh, man, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I really wanted to be in a place where I could have faith in myself. So therapy was also a big reason. Um, Mm. I put attention toward, you know, seeing my therapist regularly because there's a lot of stuff that had led up to that point where I wasn't believing fully in myself. And uh, I have a big problem if I'm being completely transparent. Um, Feeling worthy of love is my biggest um, wall because Mm. of my past and because of things with my family. Mm. Um, And so I let that kind of just run my life for a long time 
and I didn't want that to happen anymore. So I think it's not only the focus on voiceover work and the focus on the career that I want and what I deserve to have, but it's also a lot of very serious, very difficult and very um, like uh, just dragging myself through this really serious internal work that I was necessary to get to the place. I'm in a much better place mentally. I'm in a much better place, like spiritually, as far as where I need to feel and where I need to be. I don't know if you're a religious person at all or if anybody that's listening is, but I know that my, um, my faith is also something that's been very important to me going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, even in, in a practical sense of having my church community that I go to, I sing every couple of weeks with them for our services that are broadcast oh, wow. on Sunday. Um, nice. and, um, having that support system, of just let, making myself see myself in a different way every single every couple of weeks, just reminding myself. So having that internal engine of moving forward and also trusting that things will come the way that they should because I think that one of the reasons that it didn't work for a couple of years or at least not that I wanted it the way I wanted it to is because I was trying to force it out of the system. I was like, if I just work harder and if I audition more and if I do this and, you know, I was I was putting it all on myself to just kind of force it to happen mm. without stepping back and being like, you'll get the roles that you're supposed to get. Take the classes that are going to lead you to this. Make connections that are going to help you later on because that's a pattern. That's how it's always been mm-hmm. is the relationships I make. And the timing is always correct. And I just need to remember that and rely on that. And the more that I've kind of let myself go in that way, the more successful I've been. Um, and a big one, too, is just a piece of advice that I saw on. And I'm sure a lot of people have seen this, but Brian Cranston did a video for the Oscars where he said the moment that I switched from I'm not going in here to get a job, but I'm going in here to do what you do is in you, you act. That's what you do. You go in right. there, you present the piece in the way that serves the text and then you walk away. And, you know, he said the decision of who gets a job and what happens is so out of your control. So just a lot of that, a lot of just more trust and self-worth work has changed everything externally for me. So I'm going to continue on that path, which I know is like a far away from like the voiceover specific, like, like work, but like it all connects to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I commend you for putting that work in. I obviously your, everybody's experience is unique to themselves, but like that's something that I struggled with too. I'm sure in terms of um, not feeling worthy of love, and and I wonder if a good number of actors feel that, and maybe that's partially why they go into places where they have audiences and and can get validation in that way. But yeah, um, what were you know you you went to therapy and and tried to make a routine of really focusing on yourself during this past year. So. Not that they have a therapist would have one magical answer for you that that'll make the light bulb you know shine, yeah. but like what were some things that that helped you uh sort of change that about you and feel worthy of love that's a good question, so some of it is is very practical work um my therapist um Peter McLaughlin he's great um he's based out of New York, so we meet on video every couple of weeks cool. He has a um, this really interesting because uh, he has this it's um, it's this audio track. Uh, so I'm going to practical and the not practical um, mm-hmm. or just more thought. But he has an audio track that I listen to um, daily. It's 30 minutes, which is uh, all I hear is music. But underneath the music track is is a subliminal positive affirmations of being being worthy of love. And I listen to that 30 minutes a day mm-hmm. just because he's you know, and I believe this, too, that the subconscious mind transmits and absorbs things in ways that we're not, you know, aware of, you know, consciously that's, you know, literally. So, um, so I do that 30 minutes a day. And then at night, um, he also gave me an eight hour track, 
which is rainfall, but then underneath that rainfall is eight hours of, you know, that affirmation too. And I can, I, my dreams are much more vivid since listening to that. <laughs> so <laughs> I can say that my brain is working. Um, so there's that, but then there's also the, I think a really big piece of it. Um, and this is something that I've told a lot of my friends that kind of takes the pressure off of you is what you do and what you have isn't who you are. And I think that's a huge thing that I, it's, it applies to so many things. It's like, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I am a voice actor. That's what I do. And that's what I love. But who I am is, you know, a son, a brother, a friend, someday a father. Mm. Um, that's who I am. But what I do is, you know, can be so, especially in Los Angeles, what you do is so like, I've, I feel I've often experimented just to see how many seconds when somebody asks how you're doing, do you talk about what you've done artistically? <laughs> like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm working on this project. Like, no, no, no. I asked how you are, not what you've done with your mm. career. Like, how are you? Like, but so often it's linked to, oh, yeah, no, I think we're going to work on this project. And I got this uh, podcast line, you know, all these things like that mm-hmm. has nothing to do with who you are. And it even it even transcends to the accolade level. Like, you know, even if you win an Academy Award, that golden statue has nothing to do with you as a person. And I think it can I, I don't think the carrot ever stops moving because you can be like, oh, cool. I got an Oscar for how about I got it for best supporting actor? I wish I got it for best actor. I don't have yeah. a Tony yet. Like, what am I, you know, so. <laughs> Learning that and humanizing the experience of being an actor has taken so much pressure off of this whole thing. And it makes things so much easier to get a grip on because even when I'm not booking things or when I'm not getting stuff or when I'm auditioning relentlessly and then when I'm working and when I think I have a great audition and I thought I should have gotten that or my friend is in this thing that I didn't get to be in or I'm jealous that they're on that project that came out that's world famous, you know, it has nothing to do with who you are as a person, you know, and that I think separating that has been so helpful because it reminds me that like, sure, I like this, but it doesn't mean it has nothing to do with my, you know, how kind I am or what my relationships with my friends are or who likes me or who doesn't, you know, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. So anyway, all that, all of those things put together have shifted my perspective to make 2020 and beyond even better Mm -hmm. in my own life. Beautiful. I I know we, we had referred to um dropping the mic earlier and you said it'd be too expensive but i'm happy to disconnect this right now and just (laughs) slam it on the ground (laughs) awesome (laughs) that is part two with isaac robinson smith seriously if you're not familiar with his work look it up because he's unreal talented and full of helpful tips like tip number one Keep an organized record of your auditions so you can better assess things like your booking ratio and organize it in a way that keeps you optimistic and ready. Isaac labels his submitted auditions folder as future bookings to stay in the mind frame that anything in that folder has a chance to be booked. Two, if you're a person of color and you're auditioning for a character of your background where the specs are unclear as far as how they want to hear your color, so to speak, start your audition as yourself because it shows casting that there's more than one version of your color. And if you feel casting might want an accent or affectation, include that in a second take to showcase your range. And three, maintain and curate your relationships with industry peers. And I don't mean contact connections relentlessly to see if they have any opportunities for you. Maintaining positive relationships has always been important to Isaac, which has led to the healthy byproduct of many of his gigs. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up. <laughs>